Hello. Welcome to the latest edition of the Death Labs podcast, sponsored by NetRich. We talk about all things security and threat research. Um, you know, we're here recording for ThoughtCon. Uh, this will actually be airing on my birthday. So this episode is brought to you by Maker's Mark. It's not great whiskey, but it'll do when you're celebrating your 46th birthday. Joining me uh, is Jimmy Wiley uh, with Dragos. Many of you are probably familiar with Dragos and what they do. Uh, he's a malware researcher there uh, looking into uh, ICS and OT malware. So, uh, Jimmy, uh, go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell me a little bit about what you do for Dragos. Yeah, uh, I'm a, a technical lead malware analyst, which just means I'm, I've been here for a minute. Uh, analyzing malware. Uh, primarily, my job is to uh, analyze any ICS affecting malware, reverse engineer it, test it, um, as well as sort of support the rest of our intelligence team hunting and looking for malware, I guess, like maybe more in a technical sense. You know, um, a lot of hunters and things can pull domains and all these kinds of things fairly easily. But if they need something a little bit more in-depth from a piece of malware software, I'll take a look at it. Uh, I've also helped just reverse engineer regular software where required um, if we need to, you know, maybe get something about an ICS protocol or whatever. Oh, interesting. So like of all the things in cybersecurity, right? Why did, you know, why did you, you get into this? You know, why, what made you chose this versus say traditional malware analysis or threat intel space? Like what excites you about, about the work that you do? Oh yeah. I mean, it- it's it's not really something I sought out, uh, if I'm honest. Um, but like you know, sort of presently, I mean, there's nothing more interesting right now. I think in, in malware analysis, uh, it, it's 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 malware that's going to cause like real physical effects to things, and it's and it's affecting processes that are sort of the underpin our civilization. You know, like the water needs to run and the water needs to be clean. You know, the when you turn on your light switch, you expect it to you know the lights to come on. Um, you know, water treatment, um, advanced manufacturing, you know, things like robotic arms, all those cool, fancy, like machinery that you see on like, like old shows, like how it's made and stuff, you know, like all of those things are what we deal with. And so like our customers and sort of the people that we deal with are running all of these things. So on one end, you get to learn a ton about all of these different industries, which I really, really excites me. It's also very daunting because it's a lot of information. Um, but then I'm dealing with malware that can possibly affect that and then, you know, help our customers and you know, disseminate information to folks to, to help them mitigate and protect against stuff like this. Um, you know, it's sort of the, I don't know, the latest frontier, I guess, in, in malware uh, to, to me. Uh, before this, you know, I started out, uh, I went to the University of New Orleans uh, mm-hmm. uh, and I was graduating sort of. I, I guess Katrina Katrina had happened like maybe four years previous, but New Orleans okay, hadn't really yeah. recovered um, well enough. And there weren't really any good jobs. And I knew like, I didn't want to be like a forensics person. I didn't want to do software development. And, you know, I was kind of having some trouble finding out what I wanted to do. And I knew about reverse engineering. We had, they, uh, Golden Richard had actually taught a class in it, one of his first ones that I was in. And so I just had a LinkedIn profile up on the internet that said like, I knew Ida Pro and how to, you know, I knew assembly or whatever. And as some contractor reached out to me and I ended up moving up to the, the Maryland area, got a job mm-hmm. as a reverse engineer sort of developer sort of situation and ended up analyzing malware as a defense contractor for a few years. So all of that was standard, your IT Windows malware. Um, and then I right. got tired of that. After about three years, I was kind of getting bored with it. Um, some other things happened and I ended up getting a job teaching um, teaching people, you know, um, in the intelligence community, um, mm-hmm. uh, various sort of military, um, departments and like their analysts, how to analyze malware. And, and I spent a few years doing that before entertaining Drago. So I spent a lot of time just looking at it malware, either for defenses, yard mitigation, whatever, just like as a practical matter in the field. And then sort of thinking about like, what does it take to analyze malware? What are the things that you have to know? And then trying to figure out like how to communicate with people about it um, so that they could learn all the tools they need to learn about malware analysis. Cause like, who am I kidding? These are week long training courses I was doing. They're not going to know how to do it when I'm done, but I need to at least make sure that I've given them everything they need to pursue the field um, and be right. better at their organizations. And so that's where I was coming from. And I was sort of getting sick of teaching a little bit. It was getting tiring. Um, 
it's hard to develop courses and also teach them, uh, yeah. uh, you know, on the, on the sort of that professional schedule. And I was just, it was just really wearing on me in a not great way. So I just started looking for jobs and I saw posting for analyzing, I think, controller vulnerabilities. And I thought to myself, I was like, well, I mean, it's just assembly language, you know, like, and all assembly language is basically the same anyway. You've got flags yeah. and you're moving things around and doing some math. Like I can do that. And so I applied yeah. and the director of the Intel team at the time said, we need a malware analyst, but not yet. <laughs> um, and they got back to me a few months later. And I remember they, but during the interview, they said something along the lines of, so what do you know about, <laughs> you know, ICS and OT? And I went, well, I've heard about Stuxnet and I know the acronym hmm. data, <laughs> you know, like that was, that was kind of it, you know? It was not something, and and so I when I joined Dragos, I started learning everything on the fly, and to some extent, that's almost the only way to do it because uh, there's yeah. so many. You know, when we think about ICS, just learning everything there is to know about, say, uh, processing steel. You know, they have engineers that have devoted their lifetimes to that. That's a profession. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm not going to learn all of that, you know. And so I, I rely on experts and and learn what I need to as I go but I do not pretend in any way to be sort of an expert in ICS. Um, I know how to analyze malware and I know who to talk to and bring in all those resources. It's, it's like being, it's being a researcher, you know, and then getting the relevant information to help me understand how a piece of malware will affect um, that industry. Um, and we're lucky at Dragos that we have good relationships with a lot of people in these industries that, um, you know, I can reach out to. So, I mean, that's kind of how I ended up where I am when I, where I am now is sort of a, a happy accident. Um, and I'm, and I'm glad too, yeah, because, yeah. I, I I love doing reverse engineering. I think it's great. I think it's a fun time, but analyzing malware can get so boring after a certain amount. Like this is my, Oh yeah. You know, like, like I'm 12 years in maybe. And like windows malware at some point, you know, even when you get a new implant, you're like, Oh, here we go again. You know, it's gonna, it's gonna arbitrarily execute some commands in the box. It'll steal some stuff. It'll probably encode or encrypt it a certain way. Maybe it's got an interesting C2 mechanism, but you already kind of know what to expect. I mean, it's not completely unknown anymore. Um, in, in, in that sense, you know, um, ransomware is sort of a similar situation too, you know, like, mm -hmm. you know, you get a piece of ransomware before you even start, you know what it's going to do, right? It's going right. to reverse the file system. It's going to encrypt files that won't actually cripple the box, hopefully. Uh, um, and it's going to drop a ransom note. And there's probably some mechanism for storing some kind of key and or sending the key away or whatever so that they can decrypt it later if they even mm -hmm. care about that. And so those sort of patterns of like what to yeah. expect were starting to get boring to me even after my initial like three or four years. Um, and then teaching, I was diving into Windows kernel things and some other stuff. But at some point, I started getting a little bit bored with that. But in this space, I've been here. I've been at Dragos now for five years and I still find it's extremely interesting because um, there's always some new information somewhere and it's not, I don't always have to focus on just malware, you know, it's like, well, I'm going to go, I'm going to learn about how electric transmission works today, you know? Right. Right. So, I mean, it, it's like, you know, you, you mentioned a couple of things. We didn't talk about this beforehand. parallels to my own career. I think like 2015 to 2017, I think, give or take, you know, one of the things I worked on is just like, let's extract malware configs because, you know, I know all there is to know about malware. Maybe there's a new module here. Maybe it's doing some interesting things here in assembly. But it's that, that was my parlay into intelligence is what, you know, what can I pull out of a piece of malware statically or, you know, with a tool that gives me intelligence to figure out, you know, who are they targeting? What are they going after? The stuff that's actually somewhat useful, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, and it's interested in it. And then, you know, you know, built, you know, another phase of my career based off of that and then kind of moved on a little bit to, to other things if we're at hunting and other, you know, higher level Intel work and management now, you know, but there's so much that, that this space offers, you know, but, you know, I, you know, I think it, I said birthday about to be, well, 46 when this airs, right. It's like, you know, mm -hmm where do I find meaning in what I do, right? As I can pick a lot of different things, right? You have, you found meaning there of how can I apply, you know, our security skills to things that have real world impact. I mean, you talk about, hey, the lights need to go on. 
um, I go back to back when I had uh, a CISSP, there was an anecdote that society is about three weeks away from cannibalism with you have the collapse of the social order. How do you collapse the social order? You turn off the power, right? And, <laughs> and doing research at, at the university because I was bored and, but hey, academic freedom, the number is actually about 19 days is how long it takes. I mean, the, the anecdote is actually fairly real to the science. Um, oh. But you, you, you think that's, yeah, I mean, it's kind of depressing. That's how far we think of ourselves as civilized. We're 19 days away from eating each other, right? Do, do they have um, some examples of this happening? Uh, you know, shipwrecks. Um, shipwrecks are when you have like the complete, complete collapse of like any ability to eat or anything. You know, you've got the Warsaw Ghetto and wartime where you've got, you know, everything that is just surrounded the ability to get food in and out or provision your own food or grow it is diminished. You know, that could be about 60 days. Um, you know, plane crashes don't count because there's usually already dead people there. People will consume the deceased faster than they will commit homicide for the purposes of eating, you know, but yeah, there, there's, there's examples though. That sounds like a crazy field to be involved with. Well, it's a reminder that really humanity hasn't changed much. We like pretending, but we're dealing with the same fundamental issues from the earliest parts of our human history. People destroy things, which is what we'll talk about here with SCADA ICSOT malware. People steal. That's IT malware, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, people deceive. That's romance games. It's all... Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it's all the same behavior that we've engaged in from the beginning. It's just over a greater scale and greater distances than ever before without any effective means of law enforcement, because we don't have international law enforcement. We have national law enforcement and occasional international cooperation. You know? Yeah. So, um, you know, I know Dragos doesn't do uh, Dragos doesn't do like embedded systems. Right? It's become more relevant to me. Right. Middle age comes for us all. I've got an embedded Bluetooth heart monitor in my chest, you know, so I've got an embedded system that's monitoring my heart transmitted to my doctor's office all the time. Right. You know, what can somebody do with that? Luckily it's only a passive device. It just monitors and transmits. Right. But well, we hopefully. haven't solved. Well, I mean, I, I, you know, what happens if an EMT, uh, an EMP happens, right? Any electrical circuit gets fried. Now I'm frying something inside my body. Now, luckily it's, it's, it's not inside the rib cage. It won't be pleasant by any stretch of the imagination, you know, but it won't destroy my heart in the process. You know, but the point is, as you know, it's a grind for IT malware. Why? We haven't solved ransomware. And to be honest, technically, there is no solution because if I'm in the right country, attracting victims in the, in, in the right country, there is no law enforcement response. We could say that's the guy who's done it. Some of the major indictments I have were great wins professionally, but they're still indictments. They're on the FBI top 10 list. And, you know, you know, so what? Yeah. The, you know, the, the, ran the ransomware problem is pernicious, man. It's, it's, I, I don't even that. I mean, it's such a simple technique, right? That, that even in the past, like, I feel like what three years, five years has exploded in such a way because it's so easy. It's, it's, you know, I think even the development wise, like how hard oh, is yeah. it to encrypt I, files? You know what I mean? Like, it's just, I mean, it, the, the hardest, the hardest part is not the encryption. It's the key management, right? What's the hardest yeah. part about enterprise encryption? It's the key management. And with Eugene Bogachev and CryptoLocker in 2013, he solved that problem. People replicated it. You've got leaked source code from Conti and Babic and others mm -hmm. where you don't even have to develop the hardest part of it, the key management. Right. Um, and now there's so, just a whole market. Like you don't even need to do anything if you just pay someone enough money. Like, no, exactly right. It, it's, so it's just this it's, whole other economy now. It's, it's, it's lather, rinse and repeat, you know, that it's hard to derive value from. You know, I mean, you get stuck in a rut. There's ways to challenge that. It's like every couple of years I do something different. You know, I did ransomware for a couple of years, you know, mm -hmm. but it's all in a search of either I need to find something interesting or something that means something, right? keeping the lights on you know keeping people's you know the water plants running the power grid running you know all of that 
actually has real real meaning it's 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 easy to come home and say you know what i'm i'm helping protect society so i mean like good on you for finding things you're passionate about yeah even even at dragos like as we were growing internally we had debates about okay what do we do about this ransomware thing because there were some of us like myself included in the beginning that was like like come on like this isn't ics stuff right ransomware is not ics stuff you know, but then we had other people on our team that were arguing the other point, you know, what happens though, if ransomware gets into some of these ICS systems and encrypts these windows, a windows device, will that take down the network? Will that prevent an operator from viewing the screen and seeing the status of that process? You know, there were all these other kind of trickle down effects that I wasn't really thinking about, you know, me being a malware analyst, just thinking like, it's not interesting. Um, and not thinking about like a bigger picture sort of situation where it's like, no, well, you know, and so we ended up having to pivot into that and deal with the ransomware in a lot of ways, at least the ransomware mm-hmm. actors that are sort of targeting uh, critical infrastructure companies and vendors um, and I guess customers in that sense. Um, you know, I think what just recently ABB was hit with Black Basta, right? That was in the news. Um, right. I don't know if you saw that. They're a huge, huge industrial vendor. Um you know, and that's just the most recent one. I mean, what, what do, I'm trying to remember the exact statistic we came up with, but the 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 number of ransomware attacks just last year has gone up like, you know, 400% or something just in ICS. Um, yeah, May 11th, ABB and Black Basta. I just looked it up to make sure, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's well, insane because ABB has a huge market share too. You know, they, mm-hmm. they have lots of customers all over the place. Um, right. So it's... I mean, and they, they've been, and it's interesting too, even looking at the ransomware, just from that perspective, you've got, you've got folks, you've got the actors that aren't very prolific, but they just, they just need one or two big scores, right? Like that's sort of a, what do they call it? Uh, I can't remember yeah, the name of it right now, but the sort of big fishing sort of situation. Um, I want to call it whale hunting, but I don't think that's quite right. Uh, um, uh, no, no. It's, yeah. Yeah. no, it's whaling. Right. Whaling. Maybe it is whaling. Fishing and it, I don't know. It was a few years ago. Our industry is notorious for about rebranding yeah. already existing concepts. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they, they go for like one or two big scores and that's it. And then you've got some yeah, of the other okay. the other actors that are going for like hundreds of companies. They don't care. They're just spraying their, you know, they're just buying access from everywhere and seeing what hits, you know. Um, no, I, and and it's, it's a tough problem. You know, when, uh, mm-hmm. when, when one of the first questions I think I got we we did a webinar initially for um, the pipe tree malware, which I know we're going to probably talk about at some point, but um, the, one of the first questions I got, um, someone asked me, can they use pipe dream to ransom a ransom an OT network? Right? I mean, that's how prevalent it is on folks' minds mm-hmm. in the ICS industry, but you know, like everywhere, it seems like, you know, that's all you hear about in malware. You don't hear about the fancy attacks anymore. All you hear is ransomware. No, no, it's, it's, you know, my frame of reference of what society at large understands is, is my family, right? As uh, I come from a family of lawyers and judges, mm. they're concerned about security because, I mean, protecting attorney-client confidentiality, like you, you blow privilege, you know, you could be looking at a law license issue, right? You know, mm-hmm. the only attack they ever specifically mentioned by name was ransomware. I mean, nothing that, I mean, they know hacking, they know, hey, I need to keep my secrets, but ransomware is the first time i heard them refer to something by name you know and you know it's to be honest it's it's 10 years long it's the world's best security awareness training exercise everybody got a whole lot more secure serious about security because it's obvious it's an attack it's impactful even if you don't pay the ransom you know time is money and business i can't do business if i'm ransomed here we are so People get ransomware, but it's such a grind to work because nothing really. What do you do when you name somebody? Maybe they stop for a while. Maybe they do whatever. You were mentioning, right? You know, it's ransomware, uh, you know, uh, an energy sector concern. There was a report out last week, or maybe it was earlier this week, you know, of initial access brokers selling access uh, strictly into the energy sector and certain people mm. going for that. You know, yep. I want to say there was uh, an incident. Three or four. It was pre-pandemic, so the number of years is going to be wrong because of the pandemic mm. time warp. But I want to say four years ago, 2018, 2019-ish. No, it was 2018. I know who I was working for at the time. It would probably have been 2018 where, you know, was a, uh, there was a, uh, a big power outage affecting hundreds of thousands in Ukraine. 
for their Christmas holiday, right? You know, their Christmas is somewhat offset, right? You know, and the attack was attributed to somebody using a remote access tool on the operator workstation. If I'm on the operator workstation running Windows, Windows exploits and Windows malware works, right? And then I, mm-hmm. I see what the operator does and I can do, do the, the industrial controls just using Windows malware, right? Are you, uh, you, are you, you sure it. that was 2018? It might have been 17. Yeah, well, I mean, so well, there were, this was, there, were, this, there were several. This was the one that was specifically a rat that was around Christmas. I'd have to look because I'm really thinking off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know, I mean, I know two of them. There was a 2015 one. I'm remembering this correctly myself. It dates. No, 20. Oh, my goodness. Oh. 2016. Oh, Christmas no, no. Actually, been. you know what? Yeah, no, you're right. It's 2015 because this was a period of time I, I had sources inside a non-American cooperating regime of which I stopped communicating with when the relationship between the entities fell apart and people are being arrested for espionage. Yeah, so it was, it was, it was before that, you know, it, it was before the 2016 election when a similar regime was acting in shenanigans and I was overtly involved in that case as well. So yeah, mm. no, no, you're right. It's 2015. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think there were two, there was a 2015 one that I think, ESET called Black Energy, if I'm remembering the state correctly. And that was primarily remote access tools. It was like getting credentials and like using remote desktop basically to just use the operating software to the operator software oh, yeah. to turn breakers on and off and just cut the power off along with some other tools. But um it's 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 a very interesting, you know, that like that whole attack structure, because I'm not even sure. Trying to remember because I wasn't part of Dragos then, but like when looking back at that attack, it sort of seemed like, you know, it's not a very complicated one. You know, it's almost like they learned like, oh, we can do this. You know that one, yeah. right? Because that's kind of the first known one of like really the power going out in a, in a real way, and then due to a cyber attack. Um, right. I, I'm not right. sure necessarily if even I don't know if I was looking at that if I'd even call it black energy proper. You know, because this is black energy malware, right? Um, and they, he said, uses like actor names for malware and or the other way around. So it can get a little confusing, but I imagine that the folks that actually did the remote desktop piece and turning the breakers on and off and such are probably a completely different group than the black energy people that got into the system, you know, um, oh, yeah. it's just the skill sets would have to be so different for that all to be one group, um, <clears throat> in that sense. Um, and then 2016 rolls around, uh, you know, so 2015, they sort of demonstrate like, oh, this is something that we can definitely do. So then 2016 rolls around, they do a similar thing, except now they're not using remote desktop software. They're not using the rats and such. I mean, they, there are some implants, regular Windows malware, but now they've written custom DLLs that speak ICS protocols to turn those things on and off, turn breakers and switch gear off automatically using protocols that already exist inside of that OT network. And so the the scale from oh yeah, this is possible to, okay, let's write automatic tools so that we don't need to, to use remote desktop or whatever to use the operator software was only like about a year um, in terms of their research. And that was sort of another thing, right? Um, around Christmas time, winter, I think power in Kiev was out for about an hour um, in the winter time. So the sort of learning curve there to me was always, is always like a little bit like, whoa, like, holy crap, um, they're not messing around. Um so I, I don't think it, 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 there, there's another interesting point about both those attacks though. Um, when you think about it, right? Like how long was the power actually out for? Right. Like when you, uh, right there was like an hour, long. right? 15 yeah. minutes. I forget the first one might've been maybe an hour. I mean, even if we say it's an hour in 2015, I think 2016. I, I, I we called it, we, we called it flipping the light switch, right? They're right. playing yeah. around. And, yeah, and, so like, and really, the cure for that is to grab the network adapter out of the back of the computer and unplug it, and then you regain control, right? So I wasn't long. You know, yeah, the they, malware they had, that can persist in an air-gapped environment, that's interesting, but we'll, we'll, we'll get there, maybe, hopefully. <laughs> there, there was a, uh, yeah, if they, if they have manual overrides and stuff, they can, they can kind of bring things back. Um, and it, it also depends in those situations, whether or not equipment was damaged and if they have backup equipment, oh, there yeah. are some other concerns there, but 
in 2015, 2016, they had all the backup mechanisms correct. Like they could handle it. Right. And um, mm-hmm. one of my um, former colleagues that used to work with me at Dragos, and now I forget where he, he works over at, mm, I'm going to say Huntress Labs now, but he gave a talk about this and he was kind of talking about how like, were these really successful attacks? You know, an hour power outage is probably less than a, you know, I don't know. When I grew up in Louisiana, right? Like we'd have a thunderstorm blow through that was a particularly mm-hmm. bad and our power would be out for five hours, six hours, maybe the whole night. Like an hour isn't really that much. And, and then you think about the types of things that we'll just say that, that the electric operators are used to dealing with in terms of recovery. An hour isn't really that bad, right? Those attacks are no. scary because they demonstrated it, right? And it's successful in that they demonstrated they could do it, but it's not really like a serious, I don't know, success case in terms of the impact of it um, at the time. But just the ability to do it is like, oh, crap, right? Because now no, they're only going to get better, right? right. No, I, I viewed it as a proof of concept and force projection. You know, it's yeah, communicating, hey, we can do this. Just and so the malware know. was like that, too, though. So when you actually looked at the code for this malware, you could tell that's exactly what it was um, in a lot of ways. Um, for example, one of the protocols in, inside of those networks is called 61850 MMS. Um, or slash MMS forward slash MMS. Um, anyway, so so that's a weird protocol. It's not standard. I think it can run over serial as well. I, these OT protocols can do all kinds of craziness um, where it's like there's a TCP version, a UDP version, sometimes a serial version, you know. Um, but when you looked at that piece of malware, you could tell they were just like capturing traffic off Wireshark and copying and pasting bytes in and just creating a socket and just like sending a string. Right. It mm-hmm. wasn't like a built protocol. It's not like they had like a protocol library for making custom, um, we'll say custom uh, requests and responses for that particular protocol. It was like they captured the bytes. That means turn off. Okay. We're just going to replay those bytes exactly with like a new address or name there and hope that it works. Um, and you can sort of tell that the things were sort of were like hastily put together because I think all the modules with the exception of the 104 one, were like this, where it looked like they just captured traffic or they imported some open source library that already handled all of it for them. Um, and and, and to, to, to more kind of support that, I say hypothesis, you know, one of their tools didn't even work, right? They, they, had, a, they had a tool for, for taking down a, a protective relay um, inside, of, inside of the network. And it, 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 the, the actual command that would DOS the device does work. It puts the device in some kind of firmware update mode um, where it's just waiting for something to get installed. And so it just doesn't do anything. Right. Um, so right. that part works, but they hard coded the addresses in. And when they create, you know, this is like basic, like college stuff, right. When they, when they created the socket and they created the like uh, adder inet uh, structure or whatever it's called um, sock adder info, I think is what I'm looking for there. Uh, right. They, they got the IP network byte ordering wrong, right? Because like Windows, the API call on Windows will, will put the network bytes in the right order for you, for those structures, for your socket structures. But I think in Linux, you have to do it manually to make sure that it, that it works out. And they forgot that. So it's like someone coming from Linux. So the addressing was completely backwards. So if they were trying to send right. things to 1.2.3.4, they sent it to 4.3.2.1. So the whole oh, thing yeah, didn't, yeah. Even, didn't even work. Like, I mean, it was like basic college math stuff like they didn't test it they just shoddily put it together um yeah the, the malware samples were on a timer right so the the compile timestamp um there were basically these little launcher executables and the executables uh had a date and a time and when that time hit it would it would launch the attack so then you know december 16th at 11 p.m you know it would start sending messages to the breakers to turn them on and off um the compile timestamp for the dll would be like an hour before the execution date. Uh, and it clearly, it just didn't seem like they were modified. It looked like they were just compiling and doing things in a hurry to try to get everything. You know, it almost felt to me like, you know, folks were like on holiday or whatever. And like yeah. the operators, bosses were like, dude, like we have a deadline. It just needs to be done. Like, you know, by Saturday night or whatever. Hey, um, it, the way it, was it works. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. Right. I mean, it just shot right, you know, in that way. Right. It, it, you know, the Bay Area has infected the threat actor community. Move fast and break things. <laughs> Basically, that's I mean that's that's kind of 
looking at the malware is what it looks like, right? So there's that perspective on it, right? Where, you know, it's easy for me to say as a malware analyst, like, oh my God, like, look at these, look at these guys. Like, this is so silly and they don't know what they're doing or blah, blah. And it's like, well, no, you know, you, you take like a, like just one step back and I can say, yeah, but it worked though. Right. Right. It's, it's still, it still did what they wanted. Not all of it worked, but the fact is they got in, they turned this, the, the breakers on and off. They manipulated some switch gear. The lights went out for an hour. Like it's still important. doesn't matter if, you know, they tripped and stumbled to get there, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, I mean, you know, it's, you know, the, the scary thing is you don't have to be, you don't have to be perfect or even excellent to achieve results on the threat actor side. You know, no. you know, we have to, we have to get it right all the time. Right. They just have to get lucky once. Uh, and that's the world we live in, right? You know, you can grouse about it, but here we are, right? You know, we need to make sure that it's not just secrets management or patching or whatever is done that's got to be done all the time, or somebody walks walks through the weak spot, and here we, you know, and here we are. You're dealing with incident response versus, you know, a sock in your prevention or vulnerability analysis or whoever. Mm-hmm. So. Hey, great news. Everybody listening, unlimited job security, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, we're only making the problem worse, right? By putting all this stuff on the internet. And so here you are. I think, I think sort of by default, if you study malware, you've got job security, right? When there's that paper, like in the 80s or whatever, about, about malware analysis and, and malware detection, how like you'll never be able to solve this problem. And they proved it. I can't remember the guy's name right now. It's like a fundamental paper in malware analysis. Um, I think they use the term computer virus and or self-replicating code or something. Mm-hmm. But right. I think it turns out that, you know, basically the malware analysis problem, right, is basically saying, you know, does this program look like another program or does this program equal another program, right? Which is basically the halting problem. So at the end of the day, like, you're not going to be able to solve this. We're just going to be able to oh, approximate no. it to a certain amount. So it is automatic job security and, not just like in a, yeah, you know, there's, there's always going to be this problem. It's like sort of automatic job security at, I like to think of it as like at, at, a, at a mathematical level, someone proved that I'll probably always have a job, which is kind of nice. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, people lie, cheat, steal, kill and break things. Yeah. You know, it's no surprise they're doing it in the electronic space and we're just adopting technologies to make it easier for them. Mm-hmm. So so yeah, we, we've gone much longer. We've not actually talked about the malware campaigns we talked about. So you know, let's you know, let's let's talk about pipe dream. You know, it was one of the last uh, you know bits of public research mm. that uh, Dragos has done. You know, what are you seeing there? What you know, what was interesting about that? You know, what do people? What should people be interested in? What what's the takeaways? Yeah. Um, well, the, it, it kind of it's actually like thinking but what we were just talking about with crash override where I, where I kind of mentioned that like learning curve you know from my perspective pipe dream is is important because it's sort of like i almost want to call it like phase two of malware development in the ics space they've it's it's not just a piece of malware that does one thing or affects just one industry uh, or just affects one particular device for like one purpose you know it's it's a toolkit. We, we have a one piece of malware, like as part of this pipe dream toolkit, we have one piece of malware that we call evil scholar and evil scholar has a codasys library. Codasys is on thousands and thousands of devices all across industrial industries. Right. So, you know, more than likely in a network, there may be a codasys device there. There's a, there's a piece of malware that we call mousehole that speaks OPC UA which is another protocol that's very prevalent in the ICS space. And um, what, I, what I've been telling people is that if you drop this piece of malware inside of an OT network, it can probably talk to something, right? Now, to what degree it can control or do something, it would be, it'd be a whole other, uh, it's a whole other discussion. Um, and then there's another piece of malware that we call Bad Omen that uh, specifically targets Omron devices, um, using this HTTP interface to sort of control and download code or whatever. So, so the main thing here is that, that what I'm thinking about is in terms of the evolution is that it's almost like the people that wrote uh, pipe dream, like we're looking back at the previous attacks and thinking about lessons learned and okay. You know, havocs, we realized that 
um, we didn't talk about this, but Havocs back in, I think, 2014 or 2013 was an espionage campaign, um, stealing uh, uh, proprietary information from all kinds of industrial verticals um, or the energy sector, particularly, but uh, sorry, other sectors. So aviation, um, for instance, mm-hmm. energy, government, whatever. But when they were in industrial spaces, they deployed a module that spoke OPCDA. Um, and they sort of were the first ones to demonstrate abuse of a standardized protocol in the OT space for any kind of success, right? So then Pipe Dream comes around, they have a module for OPC UA, which is sort of the updated version of that protocol, right? I don't think they just picked that for no reason. They picked it because of its applicability, you know, the target space, who they're able to affect with that protocol. But also, like, we have evidence of another attack that actually worked, you know, just, what, now, what, 14, nine years ago? Um, mm-hmm. Same thing. And, and that, that sort of mindset with the Codesys thing as well. It's like, okay, what protocols can we implement? And Codesys, again, they're piggybacking on research that's been done. There's a lot of research in the, uh, I'll say, the, just the open security community that's been done on Codesys in general. But also, you go to Codesys' website, they have something called, uh, I want to say like Codesys Inside or something, where they list optionally, it's opt-in, vendors that use Codesys. Um, and many suppliers are, or industrial vendors will also build Codesys into their PLCs. So they don't need to tell you necessarily, but it's all over the place, right? And so they're learning again from this sort of like standardized protocol technique or they're, they're learning from the successes of being able to use standardized protocols. Crash over, I was sort of similar, but it was just standardized protocols for the electric space, right? Um, and so that, that's what's really kind of interesting is that they're learning and it's getting better. Uh, on top of that, these, these, these pieces of malware have plugins, so they're easily extensible. Mm-hmm. So I have a Codesys library, I speak Codesys, and I want to do something else with it. That's just an optional plugin that I write in Python and, you know, just kind of tack onto the framework. And then I have a new attack tool or a new attack capability for that protocol. So in terms of the, the structure of the code, um, how well thought out it is, and sort of the amount of devices that they're able to affect, um, it's, it's kind of a new, um, well, honestly, it's just a big deal in the ICS space. This is, to me, in the civilian space, especially, it's more important or I'm going to say more real than maybe even some of the previous attacks that we've seen, crash override, Trisis or whatever. Because, you know, Trisis, for instance, affected one device in the oil and gas industry. If you don't have that device, you don't have to worry about Trisis, right? End of the day, that's what operators are going to think, right? The techniques and stuff to get in and what they could do is still a problem. But um, wow. but with Pipedream, it's not like that anymore, Right. Some, some industry, the reason is here's another reason why it's a big deal. How many site operators even know if they're running CodeAssist inside of their network? Because the vendors haven't yeah. necessarily disclosed to them the device they have has CodeAssist inside of it. Okay. Cause it might be, you know, for instance, um, a Hitachi device, right? And this Hitachi device is running a CodeAssist runtime as sort of its operating system. Um, uh, or we'll, operating system probably might be a stretch. Let's just say for its, uh, for its, uh, we'll just say it's running the runtime system to interpret downloaded logic or whatever. You know, they're not disclosing that necessarily to the customer and the customer may not have even known to ask. So if you're a customer sitting in your network and you think, can pipe dream affect me? Right. The question becomes, do I have codices? Right. And now you have to go to the right. vendor and the vendor may not even know you can't just go into your network and look for a sticker. You know, there's no easy way to query for it. Um, and so that's a problem too. It's, it's, it's that the yeah. attackers have become more, more, they've learned from previous attacks. They've, they put some time and energy and, and resources into developing a better toolkit, right? So that they don't have to say, it allows them to, if you imagine like the general, like this pointing at targets or whatever, or, you know, you know, they can say, I want you to target that facility over there and they have tools that probably work as opposed to, I'm going to target that facility. Let's recon it. And now I have to develop custom tools. They're closer to being able to just get to wherever they want without having to worry about too many specifics. Right. If that makes sense, but it just gives them more options. Um, The metasploitification of ICS hacking, right? Basically framework and then lots of plugins. And then you just pick and choose 
what you what you need at any given time based on what you're seeing in reconnaissance or lateral movement or what have whatever phase you happen to be operating at. Yeah. And and what I will say about it though, despite that, these tools do just, you know, allow them to go in and do things. Um, you know, download logic to the devices and 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 change sort of the process and these things. But you know, you can't just go into an oil and gas refinery and drop like this tool and like it runs and then like things just blow up. It, it doesn't work that way, right? You still have to like recon the process and understand what's happening and which devices are in charge of what. So even mm-hmm. a tool like this doesn't give them like an automatic explosion scenario, but it does get them very far along in the process to understanding what's going on, right? If nice. I already speak the protocols involved, I can just start querying the devices off the bat to figure out what's going on. Um, so it, it would in some sense maybe shorten the length of time required to get to whatever the end goal would be. Um, mm-hmm. so. Metasploit makes pen te- and, well, and cobalt strike and others, right? You know, make pen testers more efficient, right? This makes threat actors more efficient. I mean, I mean, I would say that Metasploit makes threat actors more efficient now, uh, just in terms well, of how I mean, it's it, sort of cobalt strike, especially, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, all, all of the tools our red teams use are tools that could just be used as effectively by, um, you know, uh, threat actors. Or, you, know, they, you know, when I've taught classes, too, I've taught classes, right? The difference mm-hmm. between a pen tester or a red team or a threat actor is a hold harmless agreement. That's it. Yeah. You know, you got to sign a piece of paper. That's your get out of jail card. And if you don't have that piece of paper the right way. There's been red teamers who get arrested, right? There was that incident in Iowa, I don't know, a few mm-hmm. years back. Iowa or something like that. Anyway. So, yeah. I mean, and also, like, who's, who's paying them? <laughs> who's paying you? Yeah, well, right? yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Everybody's being paid by somebody, even threat actors, yeah. right? You know, most, yeah. of, most of the operators with the fingers on the keyboards are not the, not the top of the food chain. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes they are, but I think we're, you know, with initial access brokers and, and malware as a service and all that kind of stuff, which we've talked about, right? I think we're, we're going to an organized crime model. The crime boss isn't the guy who's sitting at the computer anymore, right? Uh, he's the one just giving instructions and releasing funds and resources as needed. Right. And they're the harder ones to get your hands on. If Not that we get our hands on many at all in the first place. Mm-hmm. So well, see, I mean, that's why that's why the the OT stuff and the ICF stuff to me is still very interesting because I don't have to deal with a lot of that crimeware stuff. You know, where it just right. feels to me that people probably just work in the equivalent of an office over in like you know Russia or Romania or something. I don't know somewhere in Eastern Europe, um, and they just go to work and they just happen to be writing ransomware. You know, um, right, I, you know. I feel like this the ICS stuff and the OT things are probably still firmly in the realm of. Of, of government state actors uh, trying to develop mm-hmm. capabilities for extending their reach um, right. into other places. Um, so it's, I, I don't know. It, I, I like that, that I'm not dealing with the sort of organized crime part. Cause that's a whole other ball game, political ball game, legal ball game. And I don't know. Right. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, I guess it's all a game, right? Yeah, but, uh, you know, I mean, as long as you're, you're doing what you're passionate about, you, you know, you, you're motivated to get up in the morning and go to work and find value in it, right? That's great. Most of, oh, yeah. most of our peers outside this industry, yeah, even inside this industry, don't have that. So, you know, just, you know, find a way to do what you love and we're all well compensated for it in this space. Yeah, I mean, that could be a whole other podcast, I think, man, <laughs> talking about oh, the problems of the industry and retention and, and uh-huh. you know, letting uh-huh. people do what they enjoy or anyway. But um, Absolutely. something I, I, I forgot to mention about Pipedream that I wanted to mention because I didn't talk about it much. Okay. Of the, the, there's a piece of that where I only really talked about the ICS stuff, but they did have two Windows components. And all I want to say is it wasn't just that they thought about, like, like you mentioned, the, the sort of you know, metasploitification of ICS tools in mm-hmm. some sense that Pipedream is doing. But you could tell that, you know, with these with this collection of tools that people are thinking about the end-to-end piece, right? There was a extra thing for, there was an extra piece of malware for, for arbitrarily loaded, loading an unsigned driver in Windows. There was another sort of full-featured implant for doing your sort of standard 
um, C2 and comms to get, you know, lateral movement and these kinds of things. And so it's not just, okay, we want to get, we want to do something once we're in the OT network to cause a specific effect. It was also like, okay, once we're in the OT network, we still have to deal with Windows systems. So how do we get around before we get to the point where we need to do the things that are ICS specific? And so they had like all, all of that readily available, right? Um, and it's just, it's just insane to me um, seeing all of that coming from something like Trisis, where it was very clear that they were sort of actively figuring out what was happening still, even with the malware that sort of that worked, but it was clear they were like testing to figure out what they could do and how things worked or whatever. It's going from that where they were sort of actively testing on a site coming to this, where it's like, wow, this is like a well-developed, well-structured piece of malware um, that, that can cause problems for us now. Um, what's surprising to me is, is how quickly, how many of these have occurred just in five years? Cause I see a smell where you think, you know, whenever any one of these come out, they're like, this is like a once in a lifetime event. This is like a huge deal. Like everyone needs to be on alert, right? When Stuxnet was public, it was such a big deal, um, for folks. And everyone was saying like, this is the beginning. Everyone needs to start paying attention. And then, Black Energy happened, a similar situation. Crash Override happened, a similar situation. 2017, Trisis happens. So now we have two events a year apart that are ICS. And then there was right. silence, nothing. And then in 2022, we had two. We had Industrial 2 was discovered and also Pipe Dream. And it's just like, wow, we have two of them in five years. We're before. So this is, we're on the seventh sample, right? But two of them were discovered in one year. And the last one would have been discovered five years ago. Um, I don't know. I, there's something about that trend line that I don't like, <laughs> you know, right. I, I wasn't expecting to be at Dragos for five years and to have had to look at like three or four of these now, right. Crash, Trisis, Indestroyer, Pipe Dreams, how to be four of them. And there's only like seven of them total. <laughs> right. right. Um, and the first one that we know about was back in 2011. So we've got 12 years worth of a 12 year time frame and, four in the past six ish years, you know, it's like, uh, um, that part to me, that, that sort of learning curve, how much resources they're putting in, like how many folks must be developing and working on these types of tools. Like, I just think that situation is going to get worse, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're getting better at it and they've, they've demonstrated it. They've demonstrated that it worked multiple times. And now with pipe dream, we can see that like they're thinking about like more professional tools. So, yeah. So, not great developments, right? You know, uh, I mean, professionally lucrative, perhaps, but, you know, it's the problem's only getting worse, right? You know, in and, and a wide variety of spaces, but certainly in ICS, right? The frequency alone suggests bad things. And I mean, there's an ebb and a flow with geopolitical shenanigans. Um, yeah. But, it's, it's really interesting when you compare it to IT Mower, too, right? Because if I found like a new IT malware, like an implant or whatever, and started analyzing it, I, I mean, then I'd be excited about it. And I would never really feel that bad, you know, but like mm -hmm. pipe dream and they hand it to me to like analyze along with the rest of my team. On the one hand, you're like excited because it's curious and it's like a new thing. Right. But there's always this really big part of you in the back of your head. That's just like, Oh crap. Like this is going to be bad, you know, like, cause yeah. this isn't good. The situation, the fact that you're there, you know, it's kind of how I think, you know, no one's ever happy to see the IR team. You know what I mean? Because it means some <laughs> went down. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly uh, right. You know? um, it's actually kind of funny. I was, um, I spoke, at, I spoke about this stuff at, at DEF CON this past year. Mm -hmm. And I was, when I was getting off the stage, the goon there was like, Hey man, like good job. You know, I hope you come back and speak again. And I was like, Oh, thanks man. But I really hope not. <laughs> I don't want to give another talk about another piece of ICS malware. Uh, you know, I hope that nothing bad like this happens again. And I have to get up here and tell people like, you know, beware, be careful, watch out, you know? Um, yeah. But, I mean, success for us would have to be, well, I guess I got, I can't do security anymore. I'll be a Chilean bee farmer. Um, yeah. but we all know that that's not going to happen anytime soon. Oh yeah. I mean, I would love to just open up a dog rescue and just, mm -hmm. just play with dogs uh for the rest of my life mm. yeah so uh on that happy note 
because all <laughs> we have is sunshine and positivity here in the cybersecurity industry. Uh, well, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, if we want to end on a positive sense, what I will say is that even in my five years at Dragos, I've seen the community come way further. So I think we're in a much better oh, place yeah. than we were five years ago in terms of our awareness of oh, these no. things. And, you know, even even like I think recently our CEO and Tim Conway published something like five critical controls about like how operators can start working through kind of structuring their OT network to start catching these actors at certain times. Because the one thing we do have that's beneficial for the defender is that these sorts of attacks are going to take like a long dwell time because of the learning cycle involved to learn like the process and stuff. And so there's a lot of time to catch these folks when they're in the network and you can structure your network in such a way that you make it more likely that you're going to see what's going on. Um, And so that was a really great paper. Not that I'm here to like, shill my CEO stuff or anything. That's not really who I am, but I actually thought it was a very thoughtful paper about how to go about doing that. And just the amount of people, like the amount of engagement that I get from the OT and ICS community. And that's just me as a malware person. I'm not really on stage that often or like that big in the field to be, to be, you know, that people are approaching me or anything like that, you know, but like the amount of folks that I talk to that just seems so much more knowledgeable now and folks that, that because of the, 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 the messaging that's been getting out there about these types of attacks and that security problem, the people that are jumping into this industry because they think it's important to me is, is actually very uplifting. Um, I definitely, I had someone approach me at a conference that said they got into ICS security because of the, because they heard about Trisis back in 2017 and they were like, well, I want to help stop that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. So, you know, there are pluses and minuses there, right? Like we are worried about the attacks, but like when folks start attacking our stuff, like it does motivate people. Right. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that was a CTI league, different story, but the attacks related to the pandemic, right. You know, mm-hmm. it brings people out, um, you know, the ICS malware itself. And there's people, I think there's in-ground motivation because of the stakes of people to deal with it. Right. The operators, you know, we'll figure out, hey, what can I do to stop this, right? Versus the complacency you tend to find in the IT space. Mm-hmm. You know, I would presume there's not that many OT ICS operators I talk to, but I, I, I don't think you encounter the same complacency. They're aware of the problem and its impacts. Uh, it, yeah, it, it's getting it's getting better. I mean, you you have to, what was the thing? I was, I was trying to talk to one of my friends about this, but my friend is, he's like a bartender and He's nothing in cybersecurity. And I just said, I said, we've had electricity longer than we've had computers. <laughs> and when you think about yeah. like culturally how things can be in an OT network, they've been doing this longer than we've been dealing with these, with the newfangled internet <laughs> and PCs or whatever. And so there was, mm-hmm. there is a bit of an education. Uh, uh, I'll say a learning curve even for them, but I do think in a lot of organizations, they're coming around and the vendors too, like the vendors that I've spoken to in terms of getting even some of the basic stuff that I don't think was even close to as good, even five years ago, things like vulnerability, um, having like a product security team for handling vulnerabilities and CVEs and, and issuing patches or mitigation guidance for, for when we find things in devices, you know, some, you know, we had to talk to vendors about, um, well, I talk, we, now when we talk to them, I feel like they, they understand more of what the problem is versus five years ago where, you know, some vendors may not have even had a product security team to deal with these issues, right? But we don't want to expose their vulnerabilities. Um, so I think in that sense, yeah, like a lot of things have gotten better in that end. On the on the engineering end, the people that are in the field, I think that they are a little bit more aware of these problems and, and, and trying to fix them, you know? Like they want to do their jobs well, you know? Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't think... There was something I, I remember hearing a guy say that that to to an OT engineer, the IT people are like. Uh, it used to be that the IT people were were like a risk, right? Mm. Like, what do you mean I can get ransomware in the OT network? How do I do that? Oh well, it comes from the IT side though, right? So it's the IT guy's right. problem, you know. Um, and so I do think that there are still there's probably still some of that that we have to combat in terms of like no, it's like kind of a shared issue that we need to both work on the it guys are there to help you but like we also need their experience the ot guys experience to 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 communicate so that we understand where what's important and 
you know, what, you know, those kinds of configurations and things that they're only going to know and about the process and what's important. You know, one of the first things that we do when we go into like uh, when our IR team, our services team, one of the things that they do, crown jewels analysis, what is important in this OT network, right? Oh, yeah. Like, you know, if, 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 you know, name something that if it shuts down, you're going to lose millions of dollars, right? Let's start with that, (laughs) right? Yeah. Um, And so, you know, so yeah, I do think that educationally, just in, just in the time that I've been paying any attention, um, I think it's gotten way better. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I said, you know, as much as I'm a cynic, right. You know, a lot of things have improved too. Right. And, and, and I said, you mentioned a lot of it in your space, you know, so, I mean, uh, you know, there's always an ever expanding scope of the problem uh, yeah. you know, in security generally. Right. Uh, especially as you put new things online and on the internet and ML and AI and all that kind of stuff. You know, but there, there's awareness. There's a lot of people who are trying to do the right thing, both from the defender space and the people, you know, responsible for operating and manufacturing this technology, right? We don't hear mm-hmm. about car hacking anymore, almost since the, the Wired article from uh, Andy Greenberg uh, and the Jeep hacking incident, right? Because all the auto manufacturers grabbed a bunch of people said, we can't have this. Um, and, you know, by and large, like, you know, they, they put a lot of things in place to solve it, right? Because this, you know, in an IT network, lost money means an insurance claim, really, right? You know, mm-hmm. an OT system, why right, we can codify the losses much differently. You know, driving oh, yeah. cars that all of a sudden there's accidents caused that can't be blamed on the driver. You know, automobile, automobile manufacturers understand that cost and, and it's inherently tied to business value. So the, the path to a shift in behavior has been a lot quicker than I think that we see in, in the IT space. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, even when you think about a factory, I'm sure that I don't know this for a fact cause I don't do tabletops or work with like people that do money like that, but I, I wouldn't, I'm 99% sure that those like factories and stuff have guys that are like, you know, when this factory runs, we're making X number of dollars a minute. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, they probably have, oh. like, a, a rate of, uh, you know, and so they can quantify everything. This shuts down yeah. for an hour. We're out this much, mm-hmm. right? So they can judge the cost of maintenance and repairs. And I'm sure there's a whole kind of group doing risk analysis like that at these big big companies. So, um, so yeah, it does help but to, 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 to make the case that way in a, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, it's like one of the classic things I feel like computer security or network security, IT even has talked about that they that, that leaders need to start looking at um, security more as an investment than a cost, right? Um, that this is just sort of part of the process and it helps things, it helps guarantee that these things are going to get done versus just being like overhead. And, you know, you just have the one guy that's stressed out in the corner um, that can barely keep up. Uh you know, like actually having a team of capable individuals that are happy and decent at their job is actually more helpful to the business than just the one stress guy that's like resetting IT accounts or whatever. Right, right, right. So there, there, there we've ended on on a more positive note. So I so think so. I think this is better. I, I mean, my conscience feels better. The last thing I would want to do is just come on your on your podcast and just like have your audience be like, "Oh man, like things are terrible." <laughs> I don't, I mean, I don't know. I don't there, there, there have been times I've signed off where everything sucks and we're all going to die, you know, but I don't feel the need to sign off that way now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess it is called death labs, right? Um, it's, right. Well, um, yeah, that, yeah. You know, that's, that's the, that's the moniker. I'm, I'm, you know, we used to be digital janitors. Now I'm just a cyber mortician. Uh, oh, man. But, you know, I, uh, <laughs> so, but that, that comes with the Irish sense of humor. Yeah. So, yeah. so with that, I'd like to, to, to thank you for, uh, you know, coming on the podcast, a lot of great content, uh, that you shared a lot of great insights and, uh, you know, so, um, you know, thank you for, for the wealth of information you shared, both in terms of your professional experience, in terms of how you got into this and some of the technical stuff, uh, for everybody else, you know, this is Death Labs podcast sponsored by NetRich. We air every other Wednesday.
available on all of your usual podcasting platforms. If you're interested and like this content, like, subscribe, share. We appreciate all the feedback in the world. If you'd like to be a guest, feel free to reach out. Uh, we talk about anything security technical related that we can. So with that, again, thank you, uh, Jimmy Wiley from uh, Gregos uh, and everybody else. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you.